Welcome back to Premier Sports Academy guest speaker series brought to you by Sportscraft Source for Sports. Okay, guys, uh, we're back again. Uh, our guest speaker series for Premier Sports Academy and joining us today from uh, Ontario, uh, Jamie Campbell of Blue Jay Central Sportsnet. Jamie, thanks for joining us today. No problem, Noah. Nice to speak with you. So I'm just going to jump right into it. I think um, for me personally, uh, studied sport management, uh, sport broadcasting was always uh, something that I always wanted to get into. Went a different direction in terms of going into the front office with some minor league uh, pro franchises. So for you, what was the thing that sparked your interest in becoming a sports broadcaster? Uh, I believe the flame was lit very early, perhaps when I was about 10 years old. I can trace it actually back to a chance meeting I had with a baseball player named Lyman Bostock, who um, at the time in 1977, when I met him at Exhibition Stadium, was um, one of the best players in the American League and starring in the outfield for the Minnesota Twins. And on this beautiful sunny day, uh, about two hours before the Twins took on the Blue Jays, he spent about 10 minutes with me and was really interested in who I was and, and what I did and where I went to school and what my family was like. And I was in awe of Major League Baseball as a whole back then because the Blue Jays had just come to town. I had every baseball card imaginable, so I knew who all the players were. And when I went down for batting practice and had him call me over to have a conversation, I just became enthralled by the fact that in a really small way, I'm actually part of this, right? As much as I'm not a player, I don't have the jersey or the hat, I'm not a big league ball player out on the field. But even at age 10, I felt in a way like I was part of that. And what that did was it instilled in me this um, unrelenting desire to be there as often as I possibly could. And that desire ended up I'd say four or five years later, long before I graduated from high school, convincing me exactly what I thought I should be doing with the rest of my life. And I just uh, followed a certain path from there. And I think I think that's a valuable lesson. I think we all kind of now, again, us being from Newfoundland, it's very rare that we get to uh, get off the island and go see a major league game. But I'm sure there's a lot of kids and a lot of our athletes that are watching this that have the exact same feeling and just have had that interaction interaction with people, but they just they don't realize how important it's going to be down the line for not only again it could be their athletic career or their professional career, just like yourself. So, yeah, hope- you know, I I had look, I had I had the advantage of living forty minutes from Exhibition Stadium, and even long before I got a driver's license, I could pay three dollars and be on a train that took me right to the stadium, <laughs> and then in later years. Um, I would go to downtown Toronto, hang out in the lobbies of the hotels and meet the players as they were coming down to get on their bus. Not everybody had that opportunity, but it's possible anywhere in this country now. It doesn't matter where you live to um, to find a passion for something. And it doesn't matter where that passion might be centered. You can follow it to a particular place. I'll give you a great example. My good friend, Ken Reed, who is um, one of the hosts of Sportsnet Central grew up in rural Nova Scotia, but his passion for hockey in particular was so strong that he found a way somehow to connect with NHL hockey players when he was a kid and then eventually 
um, ended up coming here to Toronto. In fact, he doesn't live far from me, a few blocks away, and uh, has forged a career based on that passion. Frankly, guys, you can do it from anywhere in the country. You just have to follow a particular path. And it's it definitely bodes well. And I mean, uh, all of our athletes being from Okay, I'm in here. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna try to send him another link. Is it the same link? Oh, hey fellas. Hello, right. that was that was intense. Thank you for hanging tight there. We appreciate that very much. Yeah, sorry about that, guys. No need to apologize. Not your fault. That's the the internet right now. I think there's a a little bit of extra. <laughs> A little bit of extra bandwidth usage right now, but uh, thanks for uh, hanging tight. Um, rather than try to pick up with the last question, unless you remember kind of what point you were on there, Jamie. Uh, we were discussing, I think, the, um, the possibility that any kid in this country, regardless of geography, has the opportunity to pursue their dreams. And it doesn't have to be sports. It could be medicine. It could be law. It could be the service industry, it could be any conceivable might have, uh, especially given the way that we can connect um, through modern technology. There's really no reason for any kid to abstain from pursuing their dreams in this country, regardless of where they live. And uh, I, I would think that in the 70s, when I was jumping on a commuter train to Toronto, it may have been a little different back then, and I had an advantage based purely on proximity, but I don't think that advantage exists anymore. And that's a, a really good point. I mean, you're, you're around a lot of professional athletes right now. Um, do you think there's a conscious effort on some of their part uh, to make sure they're giving these kids these positive experiences? Because you really never know what type of impact you can have on somebody's life, both positively and negatively. So, Yeah, there's little question. And you can see it. I think one of my favorite videos uh, from last season, if not the year before, was this um, this random camera in Detroit at Comerica Park picked up a shot of some kid wearing Mike Trout uh, jersey, hat, everything, up, down, and sideways. And suddenly Trout comes over to the sideline and signs a ball for this kid. And then the camera followed the kid as he went to his father and he was in tears. I don't know if you guys remember seeing this. It was unbelievable. You can YouTube it. It's just an amazing, amazing sight. And, you know, that's the kind of um, um, access that 10-year-old me would have had if I was lucky to be able to get a star player to come over to me on the sidelines at Exhibition Stadium. But now with Instagram and Twitter and all of these modern forms of technology, you could conceivably one day have some form of communication with some of the best athletes in the world simply by following them on social media. It's a, it's a concept that if you had presented that to me in the late 70s and early 80s when I was sort of at the peak of my childhood, yeah, and that's, I mean, just for everyone that's listening, I mean, that's how you came on the show today. I We followed you on, on Twitter, and I sent you a message and said, this is what we're doing. Would you be interested in And, and yeah. you know, to your credit, you said yes, right, which is 
which is, you know, it really does speak to your point that access right now is it's truly unlimited. Yeah, it's incredible. It's amazing who you can reach out to now without ever having to actually be directly in front of them. Yeah, for sure. Uh, um, I just wanted to jump in uh, a little bit into just what's going on right now. I mean, uh, we had a friend of ours on last week, uh, Trevor Knipe. He owns uh, Playball Academy in Kitchener, and he works with the Angels Association. And he was down at spring training when when everything got shut down. Um, can you speak a little bit about what the atmosphere and, and the mood was like with the Blue Jays when when that all happened? I left before it really started to get serious. Um, and the reason I left is because I had picked a very particular day to come back to Toronto. I had to go down and shoot about four or five days worth of features with some of the prospects at the minor league complex in Dunedin at a very crowded minor league complex. I must say it's amazing to think back on that being just over three weeks ago. And the fact that I was shaking hands and speaking with several people at once in, in large groups or so it seemed, but I was able to get out of Florida at least four or five days before things got serious. Um, I had both my young children flying down to meet me at one point, and on the day prior, I just canceled everything and said, don't even risk it. So I wasn't there when everything shut down. Uh, I know some of our writers, Ben Nicholson-Smith and Shai Davidi were there, but I never got to see the max or the, uh, the mass exodus I never got to talk to some of the guys before they packed up and left. Um, so unfortunately, I wasn't around. Or fortunately, maybe I didn't really have to. I didn't really have to uh, self quarantine when I got back because they didn't sort of announce that as uh, mandatory for people coming from the United States until four or five days after I got home. No, I mean, well, it's fortunate for you. I mean, there's lots of people. Our friend Trevor. He had just driven down from to from Kitchener to Arizona, you know, 30 plus hours. And a few days later, he turned around and he did that drive in less than 48 hours on the way home so that he could get back, yeah. you know, before the borders closed. So it's pretty, you know, pretty serious uh, moment. But I mean, what does that what does that mean for baseball right now? I mean, I know there was a big announcement yesterday uh, in Ontario where they're banning public events through the end of June. I mean, has that have, what have you heard, you know, since that announcement's been made and how is that going to impact baseball? They are doing that for sure. Um, it's, you know, it's probably a very smart, wise and safe decision. I don't see how we can even fathom mass gatherings like a full baseball stadium, whether it's here or in the United States, anytime in the next three months to be sure. Um, and probably beyond. In fact, I'd be surprised if we see a game that's attended by fans anytime in the 2020 season. And that includes September and October. And that's a little bit disheartening. I will say this though. I have noticed that in Korea, they've been able to, you know, flatten the curve and they, the Korean baseball league has resumed play with no spectators. So there's a uh, television cameras, a broadcast team, you know, the necessary trainers, and the grounds crew, I guess, and the teams themselves, but nobody else is permitted in the stadium. And so they're getting a television audience for live games that are not attended by live people. And personally, I would love, love to think that there comes a point in time uh, where it's safe enough for baseball, Major League Baseball to resume with at the very least safety perspective, but, but try and get some form of a season going and completed. 
And that's kind of where I was going to go with my next question. We hear every option is on the table right now. Is that what they're leaning towards as the preferable option? And kind of what's the timeline if we don't play by a certain date? Does the season just be canceled or they, you know, they have to be thinking about it. Uh, I, I, I know it's, it's being discussed. They are at the mercy of, um, you know, the medical um, experts in both Canada and the United States. Um, they're, they're certainly following the guidelines uh, extended by those experts. So there are rules to follow at this point, but I am certain that major league baseball right now is conceiving of some plan that would allow them to formulate, I don't know, a 90 game, an 80 game, a 70 game season. I'd go as low as a 50 game season is still possible. You know, it might feel a little diluted to a few people, but you know, maybe it's not necessarily about the, um, the integrity of the championship at this point. And maybe it's more about the fact that there are people all across this world who are missing things that they're accustomed to seeing. And if it becomes safe enough to give them back those joys, and in this case, we're talking about the, uh, the pastime, America's pastime, um, then, then I think it's paramount. It is really, when you think about it, as much as it's a sport, it's also the service industry. And there are, based on the conversations I'm having with people across this country, people would just love to be able to watch a real live baseball game, one that wasn't being replayed from the 2015 season or as a classic 92-96 World Series game. As much as I'm enjoying those, believe me, um, it's a little different when you don't know who's going to win. Yeah, and I... And that's that's a really good point that you made. We had a few of our athletes on yesterday and we were talking about just developing new routines to kind of keep your mind off of this. But I mean, there is a certain point in time where you want to get some normalcy back, we'll say. I mean, that's that's I think the world's vice is sports, you know, what I mean, whether it be baseball or hockey. I mean, everyone has a vice. And I think sports is almost a vice for, you know, a vast you know, majority of the people that live on this planet. So it is very important. Yeah, but not at the risk of endangering people, right. right? I mean, we have to be respectful of there are people getting up in, in Newfoundland, in Ontario, in every province and every territory in this country, in every state and, and every other place across the world who are, are your neighbors and my neighbors and people that live in your neighborhood and my neighborhood. And they're risking their lives every single day going into their hospital or their medical facility or their seniors residence to care for people. And we have to be absolutely respectful of our responsibility in trying to quote unquote, flatten this curve and make sure we're doing things right. And then we will welcome back all of these uh, wonderful things that we, I guess in the past took for granted. No, absolutely. And uh, Jamie, I just want to, and again, it's it's great to have that insight and uh, get get your take on everything that's going on right now. And I kind of want to get to a lighter side of things where we talk about, again, for our athletes, um, obviously, we, we all know in this country that if the Blue Jays are doing well as a team and an organization, that baseball tends to see an increase in registration across minor associations. So how vital, again, uh, in your opinion, is that relationship between Baseball Canada and the Toronto Blue Jays? It's been critical um, for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. um, I can tell you with certainty, uh, based on conversations I've had with people, uh, not only at Baseball Canada, but within all of the, um, the governing entities, 
province-wide, whether it's in Manitoba, Saskatchewan, uh, baseball, New Brunswick, that 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 run that the Blue Jays went on in 2015 and 2016 increased participation in baseball dramatically in this country. Not surprising at all, too, because because the Blue Jays of 92 and 93, when they sort of captivated a country, did exactly the same thing. And, you know, guys who I know who have um, come and gone in the major leagues and had successful careers, whether it's Justin Morneau or Joey Votto or Jeff Francis, have all told me that their inspiration in many respects came from watching a World Series champion. Um, and I know, absolutely know, that there are kids across this country who took up baseball because of Josh Donaldson or because of Jose Bautista or because of Marcus Stroman and because they were front and center in 15 and 16 when they won the division title and then won the wild card game in 16. So it's, um, it's not like that will slow. In fact, I think once we kickstart things again, the fact that Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Kevin Biggio and Nate Pearson and some of these really good-looking kids are going to be around for a while, I think you'll find that spark revisited. Yeah, and that's it. You know, good that you just brought up their names. I had a few questions there. Um, one, there's an impact, obviously, to rookie contracts and things like that right now. We don't need to go too deep into it, but if you have any insight. And then the second one is, is this young group of kids, are they expected to lead the next charge of, of the Blue Jays team? Or, you know, were the Blue oh, Jays goodness. looking to bring in another veteran? Well, I think they've brought in all the veterans they're going to need for this season if we have this season. Um, who knows what will happen next year. It's really hard to pinpoint exactly how things are going to play out in the free agent market until we actually play some form of a season now. I mean, I'd sit around with Joe Siddle last year whenever the Yankees would come to town and, and, and we'd both basically um, boldly predict that, that uh, James Paxton, when he was finished his tenure with the Yankees at the end of the 2020 season, was going to sign with his home country team, the Blue Jays, with you know, some astronomical figure over six or seven years and sort of be the guy that they needed to add to the rotation of a young core of guys that was going to go on to the postseason. So as far as what this roster is going to look like next year and beyond, it's very difficult to assess. But we do know that they know who the third baseman is. They know who their shortstop's going to be. They certainly know who their second baseman's going to be. Um it appears their catcher is not in question at this point. I'm sure he's within the organization, whether it's Danny Jensen, Reese McGuire, or um, goodness gracious, Alejandro Kirk, or um, Riley Adams. They've got tons of depth in their catching position. Randall Grichuk's going to be around for a little while longer, and who knows how the outfield's going to formulate. But um, that's the beauty of having all these young players coming up when they're coming up, is that you know that they are going to be here. The task for Shapiro and Atkins will be, okay, how close are we? What do we need? You know, is there a chance we could acquire Francisco Lindor? And if that's the case, what would he cost? Where would he play? Uh, you know, I, is Paxton a realistic um, signing opportunity? We, we know historically that free agent pitchers rarely, rarely come to Toronto. Um, the signing of Hinjin Ryu to me was was borderline shocking because you know the last good free agent pitcher to come to toronto without ever having played here previously was aj burnett in 2005 or 6 it's because pitchers just don't want to pitch in toronto for a variety of reasons the ball flies at the rogers center 
and it's probably the most difficult division in baseball. So very difficult to predict what the roster will look like next year, but we do know many of the core players right now. And you talked about kind of that young influx of talent too. And again, I'm going to stick to kind of the Canadian rep, uh, Canadian names that the Blue Jays have in their system. Um, you talk about Jordan Romano in the bullpen. Um, you talk about uh, a personal connection to me, Alex Nolan, who they signed as a free agent last year and made a, made a bit of a splash uh, with the Vancouver Canadians. And once again, how important is that for the Blue Jays to have some actual homegrown talent coming up through the system with the potential for them to make the big club and then perform in front of a home audience? Well, it's, it's critically important, and given mm -hmm. that the Blue Jays at this point are the only major league team in this country, um, it's really a responsibility, in my opinion. It's almost like, um, I mean, you guys are too young for this, but, but years ago, even before I was born, the NHL teams, the six that existed when I was born, had territorial rights. So the Montreal Canadiens could hoard all that great talent in Quebec, whether it's, you know, um, the Richards or Le Perrier or Jean Beliveau, they had territorial rights to players at that time. And I've always felt like in a weird kind of way, the Blue Jays should be the leader when it comes to drafting, developing talent within this country. They made a huge decision in the third round of the draft last year to pick Desan Brown, who's a high school kid from my hometown of Oakville, Ontario. But if you look at the past, they missed Votto and they missed, uh, Morneau and they missed Mike Soroka by, you know, by that much because uh, the Braves took him one spot before the Blue Jays had a chance to select in that year's draft. To me, it's imperative that they, they connect as much as they possibly can with good young Canadian talent. And I mean, look, Alex Nolan's a great story. He's a long shot to be sure. Unless of yeah. course you talk to him and know, you say that you, you know him on a personal level to speak with the man, as you know, uh, he firmly believes that, you know, two years ago he was pitching for Brock University. He firmly believes that he's going to be in the big leagues at some point. I would love to see it happen. It's it's uh, it's a long shot. But boy, oh boy, it's not for lack of effort uh, and for lack of ambition, that's for sure. Yeah, and you see with the now with some of the leagues, and Noah just referenced Vancouver, uh, Toronto just recently gave a contract to Felipe uh, Mont to, you know, have a shot at making the big club. Um, and he's actually going to be coming on the, the podcast with us tomorrow. Um, are you in some of your conversations? I mean, how how deeply are they looking at these uh, semi-professional independent leagues in Canada to try to find that diamond in the rough? Oman's a great story. The Blue Jays took notice of what he was doing. Um, and let's be honest, there was a time not long ago when I thought he was done. In fact, he thought he was done. I, I believe he had a young daughter. Um, and sort of committed more to family life at some point and probably thought baseball wasn't going to be in his future anymore. When I ran into him in Dunedin, I said, you know, Philippe, the last time I saw you face-to-face, -face, you were sitting three rows behind me at a Montreal Canadiens game at the Bell Centre. And um, he, was, he was, you know, for the, for the very brief time um, that we did see players in Dunedin for whatever it was, two and a half, three weeks, he really opened some eyes um, because they're trying to formulate a bullpen with a lot of, mid to high 90s arms, and Omont certainly has one of those. He did suffer from a weird little skin irritation uh, before they shut the camps down, but to that point, he was really starting to open some eyes. Um, because he was a minor league signee and a non-roster invitation, 
Um, there was really no chance he was going to come north with the team for opening day, but he was going to be a really good arm to have in the bullpen in AAA. And depending on need and situation, first phone call, I'm sure, uh, whenever a need arised in the bullpen. So, you know, my thought with Philippe was that if, if camp was going as well as it was when things shut down, that at some point he was absolutely going to find his way to the major league roster at some point this year. And uh, Jamie, before we let you go, uh, once again, thanks. Thanks for uh, sticking with us through that technical difficulty there. But um, just one question. Uh, again, I know you're around, you're, you get to see all these great moments that happen in Blue Jays history. And of course, us being from Canada, the, the Blue Jays are Canada's team. What is your particular favorite moment from the last couple of years of Blue Jays baseball? Let's go back five years. Oh, goodness gracious. Uh, <laughs> well, the obvious ones were being there when Bautista hit it out in the seventh inning in game five of the division series in 15 against Texas. The next year, Edwin um, walking off Ubaldo Jimenez. The place, I always tell people, if you were at that game against Texas, that bat flip game, it, it, it was to me, and I've been to World Series games at the Sky Dome when it was called that, it felt like the building actually moved. I had never, never felt a, a baseball audience respond to a home run the way they did when Bautista hit it out. And that's probably because of the intensity of that rivalry and the circumstances that got us to the point of Bautista coming to the plate with two men aboard. So those are unforgettable. But I'll be honest, guys, I've been with this team since the very first day, April 7th, 1977. I can sit there in a suit in a 95-degree day at the Rogers Center, and they can be a horrible team 25 games out of first place, and every single game is um, memorable to me because it's just an honor and a privilege to be able to not only do the job but be part of it every day. No, I think and that's the, that's the sign of a true fan, I would say, is you're not, uh, you stick with them through thick and thin. Um, Listen, we, we really do appreciate your time. We know you've got a hard stop. You're a, you're a family man. Is there, you know, we want to just ask if you have any parting messages, uh, first to fans of baseball and then to some of the young athletes out there that are finishing high school and they're wondering about their college careers or what their summer baseball is. Like, do you have any, you know, parting messages you'd like to leave for, for the people that are tuning in? Well, it's pretty simple. If you are an athlete, you are young, you've got your whole life ahead of you. Don't waste a minute. Um not focusing on what it is you want in this world, because really we only do get one shot. And if this crisis that we're going through right now has taught us anything, it's that life can be very brief and it can be taken away. So my recommendation to any young athlete watching this is go for it, man. Like don't hold back. You've got one good shot. You've got talent. You've got youth on your side use it and have fun with it and enjoy whatever it is you're going to do. And if you aspire to do the things that I've been doing throughout my career in the broadcast industry, put on those blinkers. There'll be criticism. There will be rejection like any other trade or profession in this country, but don't be phased by it. Just continue to focus on what it is you want. And uh, if all goes well, you'll figure it out eventually. Awesome. That's a great way to end it, Jamie. Thank you so much. We appreciate your time. Okay, Ryan, Noah, nice to speak with you guys. Nice to speak with Cheers. you as Take well. Care. Have a great day. See you, fellas. See you, guys.